100 Baptists you could know, and then nobody would have to worry about. Well, all right, this morning we are on number 42 of our, of our uh, studies of Baptists uh, that I think are very important, um, good to know, and um, it's so important to know our history. It's important to know history in general. Um, if you're not convinced of that, look around and see what's happening uh, in our society as people have no idea uh, what history is before they were born even. And so we have uh, you know, all the riots and the tearing down of statues and all the nonsense, uh, uh, much of it because of ignorance and uh, false teaching uh, in the schools and colleges, but uh, a lack of history not understanding history. And so, so it's, uh, it's great to study these men and women, and I think um, to, you know, we can learn from each one of them. And this morning especially, I think we can learn from this man. Uh, we're going to look at uh, a man who uh, spent almost all his life in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, Texas probably has not produced a man with a bigger heart than Lester Roloff. And uh, uh, he was born in 1914 in Dawson, Texas. He was saved at the age of 12 in the Baptist church that he and his family attended. Uh, when he, he was called to preach at the age of 18, and he entered Baylor University, uh, the Southern Baptist College, in 1933. Before he graduated in 1937, he pastored uh, a couple of churches, as was uh, the the uh, maybe the the thing that many uh, men did while they were in in college studying for the ministry, um, and then. Um, in 1937, he attended Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, and like many others that we have studied, it seems like we studied a lot of a lot of men that have that have uh, maybe been born and bred in Texas and studied in Texas. Um, he was used in evangelism while he was in seminary. In 1936, he married Marie Brady, and they would be married for 47 years. Uh, after graduation, he pastored a couple more churches, uh, ending up in Corpus Christi where he would remain, as I said, for the rest of his life. That church, the Second Baptist Church of Corpus Christi, uh, experienced great growth and, and blessing from the Lord um, until he left that ministry. And in 1944, while he was there, he began a very important uh, ministry, his radio ministry, called the Family Altar Program. And this program was initially broadcast all over Texas. Uh, it would be aired nationally by, by uh, the 1980s. And God richly blessed this um, this uh, uh, broadcast, even though you know the uh, there was so much criticism and uh, lots of um, lots of controversy surrounded him, and, and a lot of radio stations wouldn't wouldn't carry his program. But the Lord intervened, and many many people were able to hear this program even nationwide. He was called back into evangelism in 1951. He left Second Baptist Church. And in 1954, he broke uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention and became an independent Baptist. This uh, led him back into the pastorate for a time, and he pastored the Alameda Baptist Church. And really, his greatest works uh, in, in life were yet to come, uh, it, because it was there at Alameda uh, that he, he envisioned ministries to assist all who were in need. And uh, it was during these years that he became a pilot, and he began to fly himself from meeting to meeting, um, raising support for the ministries that, that he would begin. And the first work that the church began was the Good Samaritan Rescue Mission and the, um, and the City of Refuge. Uh, both of these were, were, were begun to help rebuild the lives of alcoholics. 
in time, the city of refuge uh, was housed on 270 acres. Um, great, great ministry there. The Lighthouse Houseboat was begun in 1958, and this unique ministry was uh, for drug addicts and could only be reached by by plane or by by uh, by boat. The Peaceful Valley Home for Retired Believers opened around the same time. The Anchor Home for Boys also was begun at that time and would eventually serve 300 wayward boys at, at a time. But then the largest of his ministries in respect to how many people they helped um, was the, were the Bethesda Home for Girls and the Rebecca Home for Girls, which were begun in 1967. Um, uh, Rebecca Home would, uh, would provide a home for over 1,500 girls uh, in, in his first seven years of existence. But as you can imagine, with these ministries, um, Satan hated these ministries. Um, you know, the scripture is very effective in, in people's lives. And the, the state launched several attacks um, on those ministries, the major battles coming in the 1970s. Um, the state social services, which basically began the onslaught, was a, an organization that essentially is anti-God, anti-scripture, and part of the um, part of the problem was that as the state examined the records of these homes, um, it was obvious that the state's efforts were a failure, and that these efforts were a great success. That just was really the the thing that drove the state crazy. And uh, what was happening was Roloff was taking the state's castoffs and transforming thousands of lives uh, in salvation. And the welfare department, in an effort to control, insisted on licensing the homes. And Roloff recognized this for what it was, and he refused to comply. And during that next decade, uh, he would be fined, uh, imprisoned. Um, he would be maligned, uh, even in Christian circles. Uh, but he stood his ground on the First Amendment. And we don't have the time to go into this great battle that took place in the 1970s. Our church was involved in that battle um, as we stood with him uh, in those major fights um, for the Constitution and freedom of religion. And the fight, as I said, was just enormous. Lots of successes, uh, many failures also. At one point, the Supreme Court of Texas actually did close the homes. Uh, Roloff was able to move the homes to another state that didn't require licensing and open them back up for a time. Um, but while this battle for souls was waging, he continued to fly himself uh, from meeting to meeting, rallying support for, for these ministries. And Lester Olaf would never see the end of the battle because uh, on November 2nd, 1982, he boarded his plane to fly to Calvary Baptist Church in, in uh, Kansas City. At 10 a.m., the plane disappeared from the radar screens and it crashed about 100 miles north of Houston. Uh, he and uh, the four girls, uh, the girls' quartet that he traveled with at that time, uh, all died that day. God took them home. And like the preachers of old, as one, one author said, uh, John Bunyan and the 57 Virginia preachers in the 1700s who were in prisons, he fought, was imprisoned for not allowing the state to license him and control his, his preaching. Um, Roloff Ministries was, was begun to help the down and outers as he would, he would preach. Um, down and outers of America and, uh, who had ruined their lives with, with sin and addiction. And uh, the theme of, of his ministries was, uh, and still is, Christ is the answer. You'll see that on every, every home that, he, that is still there in the Roloff um, Enterprises. Uh, and God had, had transformed over 20,000 lives in the time of his life, lifetime during that ministry. 
And I just uh, think, as one author said, uh, as, I, as I read about him, may we be willing to stand on principle regardless of the cost, as Lester Roloff did. This is a, Lester Roloff, to me and many others, is a modern John Bunyan, and stood um, as very few have stood, and the, the immense pressure from even Christianity around him to, to fold. And um, God richly blessed uh, that effort, and thank the Lord for Lester Roloff. Um, Want to take a couple of minutes and listen to a part of a sermon uh, from him, if you ever. How many? How many were able to hear, hear Lester Roloff? Tremendous. A lot of, a lot of you were, and of course you can hear him today uh, through sermon audio and, and YouTube. Um, but uh, let's play a little bit of that, and we'll listen to him. So do. He said, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Isn't it strange that very few people ever do what they ought to do? I mean, we're such weak critters. We'd say, well, I know I ought to do, but I just don't seem to be able to get after it or go after it or do it. I ought to do it. Now, I know I ought not to do this, and this has to do with eating, I guess, as much. I know I ought not to eat that. I just ought not to eat it. But I'm going to eat it anyhow. You'd be surprised to know how few people have got enough courage and willpower to do what they ought to do and not to do what they ought not to do, but that's just people for you. Now, we need a strong backbone and some real Bible conviction and then stay with it. Reckon what would happen to Daniel if he had the purpose in his heart not to defile himself by eating the king's meat and drinking the king's wine? Can you imagine how it would have turned out? There were four little Jewish boys taken into captivity into a strange kingdom, into a strange palace. Their menu was made out for them, and they had the audacity and the courage and the brass and the old-fashioned conviction drilled into them by their parents. Where did they get that kind of conviction? i tell you where they got it. They got it from their mothers and dads. You think it's normal for a little boy to turn down something that everybody else is eating and drinking, especially when it might cost him his life? Their mothers and dads might have been dead, but they said, Brother, as far as I'm concerned, this is a picture of real parental teaching. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, We'll not drink the king's wine, and we're not going to eat the meat. Because if we do... Mother and Daddy taught us that we'd defile ourselves. They were interested in those four bodies. They wanted to say, I've got to stay well. Somehow or another, God must have impressed them. You're over here to be an object lesson to everybody. And if you want me to give you my wisdom, and you want to be one of the wisest men in the world, and you want me to let you write or read the handwriting on the wall when nobody else can, and if you want me to interpret the king's dreams when he even forgot them, then you are going to get under some real rigid discipline, and that's the reason most of us will never be anything but just commonplace outfits. We're not willing to be disciplined.